Welcome to the Federal Society's Practice Group Podcast. The following podcast, hosted by the Federal Society's Labor and Employment Law Practice Group, was recorded on Tuesday, September 19, 2017, during a live teleform conference call held exclusively for Federal Society members. Welcome to the Federal Society's Teleform Conference Call. This afternoon, our conversation will be on Janice and the Court. My name is Wesley Hodges, and I'm the Associate Director of Practice Groups at the Federal Society. As always, please note that all expressions of opinion are those of the expert on today's call. Today, we are fortunate to have with us Bill Messenger, who is a staff attorney at the National Right to Work Legal Defense and Education Foundation. Bill will provide his remarks, and then we will turn to an audience Q&A for any questions that you might have. Thank you for speaking with us, Bill. The floor is yours. Yes, thank you, and thank you for having me on. Uh, What I'd like to do today is sort of go through the history um, of the case and of the issue. Of course, we're talking about Janice, if you ask me, and the issue is whether or not Abood versus Detroit Board of Education should be overruled and public sector agency fees declared unconstitutional. Um, I guess as many of you on this call already sort of know the issue relatively well, uh, but for those who don't, what I'd like to do is sort of walk through the chronology of the issue and the cases building up to Janice, and then I can open the floor to questions uh, you may have. So the story really begins, I think, with private sector labor law, in which is sort of predicated on this principle of exclusive or monopoly representation. And this is where the federal government or state government empowers a union to speak for everyone in a bargaining unit and to contract for all those individuals, irrespective of whether any particular individual approves of that representation or not. And in many of those states, at least non-right-to-work states, the government also authorizes compulsory fees or compulsory unionism, in which the government forces the individual to also pay for this exclusive or mandatory representation for dealing with their employer. Uh, You see this under the National Labor Relations Act, Railway Labor Act um, in the 30s and 1940s. Well, starting in the 1950s, early 1960s, these concepts were started to be applied to public sector employees. Uh, Same concepts. The difference, of course, now is that on the other side of the bargaining table, Instead of a private sector employer, you have the government. So public sector employees are being forced to accept a union representative for dealing with the government. And then in many situations, also being forced to pay for that representation vis-a-vis the government. Uh, That raises some relatively obvious First Amendment issues, um, dealing with compelled speech and compelled association for purposes of lobbying the government or for political activities. And these issues first came to a head in a case called Abood versus Detroit Board of Education, and that was in 1977. And the question there was straightforward. Could public sector school teachers be forced to pay a union uh, as their exclusive representative for dealing with a school board? And what the court held was that the employees could be forced to pay for the union's expenses related to collective bargaining, but not for expenses unrelated to collective bargaining that the court declared political. So what the Abood court did was really to create this dichotomy between collective bargaining activities on one hand, which public employees could be forced to pay for, and political or ideological activities on the other hand, which the First Amendment prohibited forcing those employees to pay for. Uh, The dissent in that case, that was technically a concurrence in judgment, but really a dissent, sort of pointed out that there is no such distinction uh, between lobbying the government and collective bargaining with the government, and that both were equally political. Uh, The dissent also criticized the majority for failing to apply either exacting or strict scrutiny 
uh, to these compulsory agency fees in the public sector uh, because Abood didn't appear to apply any form of scrutiny whatsoever to compulsory fees for collective bargaining. But nevertheless, you know, the Abood ruling, the majority controlled there with that dichotomy it established between collective bargaining on one hand and ideological activities on the other hand. And so that was 1977. And between 1977 and about 2012, there was a great deal of litigation dealing with exactly how to implement a boot. Uh, the court struggled with exactly how do you separate expenses between related to collective bargaining and not related to collective bargaining, like union litigation expenses and organizing expenses. A great deal of amount of litigation on that, including a split Supreme Court decision in Leonard. There was also a lot of litigation on exactly what kind of procedures does a union have to follow if it exacts compulsory fees from employees? Because obviously there's uh, a great deal of uh, opportunity for abuse there. And the Supreme Court in Hudson ultimately established the system where uh, the union had to provide certain financial notices and certain opportunities to object and challenge. And there was a great deal of litigation regarding union compliance with those procedures and also exactly what procedures were required. But generally speaking, it was most of this litigation dealt with how to implement a boot. Uh, where things seemed to start to shift was in a 2012 decision called Knox versus SCIU. And so in Knox versus SCIU, the issue was um, a union in California, the SCIU, seized compulsory fees even from people who objected to pay for a special political fightback fund to oppose certain ballot initiatives. And the uh, employees there said that the union should have given these people an opportunity to object and shouldn't have forced them to pay for it, this special assessment, in addition to union dues. The Supreme Court ultimately took the case, and what the court did, it ultimately held what the union did in that case to be unconstitutional, but more importantly, in the big scheme of things, uh, the court said a couple of things in uh, Knox, the first of which it called a boot an anomaly um, amongst its constitutional jurisprudence and criticized uh, some of the past holdings that had followed a boot, including whether or not objections were required to paying compulsory fees. Uh, and Knox also made um, explicit for the first time that compulsory fees were subject to what's called exacting constitutional scrutiny, which means the fee had to at least satisfy a compelling state interest and be the least restrictive means to satisfy that interest, which is a type of scrutiny that a boot itself didn't apply. So in looking at Knox, Knox was sort of the first indication that the Supreme Court was looking to reconsider uh, Abood and the cases um, that had followed it. So after the 2012 decision in Knox, the next case up was Harris versus Quinn. Harris was actually already pending at the Supreme Court while Knox was there uh, and was granted after the Knox decision. And the issue in Harris was a little bit different. It didn't deal with public employees. The question was, was indiv could individuals who are not full-fledged public employees, in this case Medicaid providers, be forced to pay compulsory union fees? Because what the unions have done in Illinois and some other states is declared individuals who weren't actually employed by the state but merely received state monies to be public sector employees solely for purposes of unionization and compulsory fee exactions. And so the issue in Harris was, was that constitutional? And what the petitioners in that case argued were really two things. The first is, overrule Abood completely. It shouldn't apply to anybody. Or if you don't overrule Abood, at least hold it doesn't apply outside of the employment context. So those are the two sort of arguments made to the court. And what the Supreme Court did is first, it strongly criticized Abood. It gave about six reasons why um, Abood should be overruled. 
However, the court didn't actually go that far in its holding. What it held is, well, we don't have to overrule Abood today to issue the decision in this case, which is that these particular individuals, these non-employee providers, cannot be forced to pay compulsory union fees. So the bottom line of Harris was strong criticism of Abood, but only held that Abood cannot be applied outside of the employment context. So that was the holding in Harris. That was 2014. The next case to come before the court was Friedrichs versus California Teachers Association. Uh, Friedrichs was filed after Knox, but before Harris. And Friedrichs plainly brought the issue up of, should Abood be overruled and public sector agency fees be declared unconstitutional? Uh, the case, um, the lead plaintiff in the case, Rebecca Friedrichs, was a school teacher in California, and she and her coworkers, much like the uh, teachers in Abood, again, challenged the compulsory fee regime. The Supreme Court took the case and heard oral arguments in January of 2016. Uh, in those arguments, most commentators on both the left and the right thought it quite likely that the Supreme Court was probably going to overrule Abood and hold agency fees unconstitutional, at least based on the oral argument, which you can only predict so much from, but that was generally the popular uh, opinion at the time. However, one month after the oral argument, roughly, uh, Justice Scalia passed away, and that left the court deadlocked um, at 4-4. And so ultimately, the court affirmed the Ninth Circuit decision in Friedrichs on a 4-4 basis, uh, being deadlocked. Uh, the Friedrichs petitioners requested a rehearing, um, but that was denied. Uh, now, since that time, uh, that decision and uh, the rehearing was denied in June of 2016. Uh, obviously, there's been a presidential election, and now Justice Gorsuch uh, was uh, confirmed to the court uh, in the spring of 2017. So the next case, sort of on its way up, sort of a follow-on to Friedrichs and Harris and Knox, is the case we're talking about today, which is Janus v. Ask Me. Uh, the case, the lead plaintiff is Mark Janus. He's a state employee in Illinois. Illinois has compulsory unionism amongst its public sector employees. Uh, the background of the case is sort of interesting. Uh, while Friedrichs was pending, uh, Governor Rauner, newly elected at the time, basically filed his own lawsuit saying that the state's compulsory unionism statute was unconstitutional, it was going to be overruled in Friedrichs, and he sought injunctive relief, freeing him of his obligation to enforce that statute against his employees because he thought it was unconstitutional. Uh, Mark Janus and two other employees intervened in that case to make the same argument. Uh, what happened eventually is that Governor Rauner was dismissed from the case uh, for standing reasons, leaving the employees the only individuals left in the case after Governor Rauner was dismissed. Then after the appeals, um, ultimately it led to a petition for certiorari with the Supreme Court for Mr. Janus. Uh, that has been fully briefed over the summer. And right now, the Janus cert petition is scheduled to be conferenced on Monday, September 25th. So most likely there will be a vote on Monday on whether or not the Supreme Court will take Janus. We don't know for sure when the orders will come out, but at least according to SCOTUS blog, its calendar is listed September 28th as the day at which orders will be issued from that conference. Uh, so we may find out uh, right around Thursday morning whether or not the Supreme Court takes Janus. And if they do, Janus will squarely present the question of, you know, are agency fees constitutional and should Abood uh, be overruled? I would expect if they granted it, probably have arguments in around February of 2017, give or take, and then a decision probably by June of uh, next year. 
And so that's the situation. Obviously, right now we're in a bit of a holding pattern to see if the court takes the case, um, because for whatever reason they don't, there are other cases behind it, you know, at the district court level uh, to follow it. But, you know, my hope, obviously, is that uh, the Supreme Court takes Mr. Janice's case and uh, we can litigate the issue. And that's all I really have in terms of prepared remarks. So I think open the floor to uh, any questions anyone may have. Thank you, Bill. Let's move to audience questions. In a moment, you'll hear a prompt indicating that the floor mode has been turned on. After that, to request the floor and present your question, enter the star key and then the pound key on your telephone. When we get to your request, you will hear a prompt and then you may ask your question. We will answer questions in the order in which they are received. Again, to ask a question, please enter the star key and then the pound key on your telephone keypad. While we wait for any questions from the audience, uh, Bill, curious, how do you see the case coming down if the cert is granted? Well, it's always hard to predict. Um, what we do know is Harris was a five to four decision. Um, and then in Friedrichs, the ultimate vote was four to four. Um, so at least four justices there would have overruled the Ninth Circuit, which had upheld a boot. Now, of course, exactly on what grounds those four justices would have overturned the court, we don't know. Um, so at least in terms of um, the current justices, other than Justice Gorsuch, we have you know votes from Harris and Friedrichs as to where they stood, at least in those cases. Uh, Justice Gorsuch's opinion, he hasn't weighed in on it one way or another yet. Uh, so that's sort of the lineup. I'll let everyone sort of speculate to themselves, you know, how that'll probably play out or if there's any changes of heart. Um, but that's the way it looks. Thank you. Let's move to our first audience question. Hi. Um, I understand that the unions have been arguing against CERT and in some of these follow-on cases that these are really fact-intensive cases and there should be all kinds of discovery and it seems that this is a, an effort to slow down or scuttle these cases from reaching the court and I was wondering what your thought is about this claim that these are very fact-intensive cases and that lots of discovery is needed before they can go up. Yes, and the question certainly accurate. Um, the unions are trying that in district court cases in a California case called Yon versus California Teachers Association and a Pennsylvania case called Hartnett. Um, the unions are trying, in some cases succeeding, in dragging those cases uh, into discovery, uh, you know, for no other reason, obviously, than to slow them down and to delay them. Uh, I don't think that any discovery is really needed. I mean, first of all, the most basic level, until the Supreme Court rules on the legal question, you don't know what facts are relevant. In other words, right now, Abood is the law of the land. So unless the court says Abood, you know, turns on this fact or that fact, it'd be impossible for a district court really to conduct any sort of fact finding without knowing what facts are legally relevant. And then at least based upon prior decisions, you know, I think all facts are sort of in the record. I mean, it's rather, you know, straightforward as to, uh, you know, what issues um, are out there. Uh, you know, the big question is, is collective bargaining political? Does it concern political issues? And I think all one has to do is look at, you know, the collect subjects of collective bargaining, and it becomes, you know, readily apparent very quickly that a lot of this bargaining concerns issues that are very important, you know, political concern. 
and that's particularly true in the Janus case. Uh, there's a long record from an Illinois Labor Relations Board decision about the conduct of bargaining between AFSCME and the state and the kind of numbers they're dealing with in terms of pension costs and such, you know, make rather clear that, yes, this bargaining is, you know, political in every sense of the word. Uh, so I don't think that, you know, factual discovery in general is needed for the court to reconsider Abood, especially considering Abood was decided on the pleadings, as was Harris. Uh, but even to the extent some facts are needed, Janus has a particularly uh, good record. Thank you, caller, for your question. Uh, the queue is currently open for the audience, so in the meantime, uh, just want to say that our next teleform conference call is scheduled for Wednesday, September 20th at noon Eastern, so tomorrow. It will be about Jeremy Rapkin and John Yu's new book, Striking Power, How Cyber Robots and Space Weapons Change the Rules for War. Please keep an eye out for these emails announcing upcoming Teleform conference calls. And you can also access our website for a calendar of upcoming Teleform calls, as well as a catalog of podcasts of previously recorded calls uh, you can listen to at your pleasure. Bill, what would you say this would mean for teachers' unions? Well, it would mean quite simply that they just basically become voluntary organizations, much like almost every other organization in the country. Um, and so I think that, you know, if you look at this, you know, big picture, what we're talking about at issue in this case is really an extraordinary type of authority uh, to grant a private organization the power to force people to support it, whether they like it or not. And if that's taken away, it's the only real change is teacher unions become voluntary associations, just like every other type of lobbying or political association. And in terms of what impact it has on them, you know, it just becomes a question of, um, you know, how much support do they really have, you know, amongst their membership? And if they truly are performing, you know, a valuable service that their members like, my guess is, you know, their membership will stay up. If they're not, their membership may go down. Uh, but the real question is, you know, is it voluntary? Uh, so, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, that's, I think, is the most important thing, is the right of the teachers to choose whether or not they support the union. The ultimate effect it has on a teacher's union, you know, it's tough to tell and will probably vary. Uh, but I don't doubt they'll be going anywhere soon. Thank you, Bill. Is there anything that you'd like to cover or close the call with? Not necessarily. Right now, uh, you know, it's wait and see, as I said. Um, it's conferenced on Monday. Uh, hopefully on we'll have a decision by Thursday, if not earlier. And so we'll see if the court takes the case. If so, uh, obviously a very you know exciting opportunity for worker freedom. And if not, there's you know uh, be very disappointing, but we'll just go from there. Well, on behalf of the Federalist Society, I'd like to thank our expert for the benefit of his valuable time and expertise today. We welcome all listener feedback by email at info at org. Thank you all for joining us. This call is now adjourned. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this practice group podcast. For materials related to this podcast and other Federalist Society multimedia, please visit the Federalist Society's website at fedsoc.org slash multimedia.